Please turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 90. That'll be our sermon text for this morning. Uh, You may wonder if I picked this text this week. Uh, Actually, I did not. We've been working through the Psalms uh, week after week, and we have a list of Psalms that we're going through, and this is the Psalm that we come to this week, Psalm 90. Before we read it together, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your love and even for your providence uh, to bring us to this text this morning. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would give us ears to hear, uh, hearts to receive, minds to understand what you have to say to us this morning. We pray that you would speak uh, to us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In the 90s, uh, you may remember, uh, Reebok had an ad campaign, uh, Life is Short, Play Hard. It's a kind of meditation on the brevity of life, I guess, and there's some truth to it. Uh, God created the world that we might enjoy it. That's one of the things we're called to do with however many years God gives us. Of course, sound bites never quite go far enough. Well, again, in the, in the providence of God, we come to Psalm 90 this morning. Uh, psalm 90 is a psalm written by Moses. It's uh, one psalm that traditionally was read at funerals, and it's easy to see why. Uh, it is a psalm that reflects on the brevity of life and asks for God to help us to number our days. 
But like so many psalms, it's also a psalm that cries out for mercy in the midst of our pain. We see in this psalm that the path to wisdom is found in reflection upon three things. The brevity of life, the reality of sin, and the mercy of God. And so we'll look at this psalm under those four headings, that the path of wisdom, the brevity of life, the reality of sin, and the mercy of God. If you want to follow along or take notes, uh, there's a place for that on the back of the bulletin. So first, the path to wisdom. I want us to start by looking at the middle of the psalm with one of its most famous lines. Uh, Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Number your days. Quickly, what what does that mean? Why does it matter? And how does it happen? Uh, First, what what does it mean? What does it mean to number our days? Well, simply put, it means to consider the length and the character of our lives and to realize that life doesn't last forever. Why does that matter? Uh, Well, uh, is is it, as the the Reebok commercial said, uh, life is short, play hard? Uh, Is it eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die? Uh, Is it live it up while you can? No, it's it's teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And Moses is not hoping that we'll live it up in the moment. He's hoping we will gain wisdom. Moses wants us to number our days not so we can live it up while we have the chance, but so we would know how to live thoughtfully in God's world in light of the big picture of what God is doing. That we would value each day for what it is, and begin to see each moment in the context of the big picture. Well, how does that happen? Uh, How do we number our days and gain wisdom? Uh, Notice the first word in that verse, in verse 12, is is so, so, or thus, or in this way. Uh, Moses means in this way, in in meditating, as he has done from verses 1 through 10, in considering, as he says in verse 11, in that way, The psalmist is learning to number his days as he meditates upon the truths that we'll look at in a moment. In other words, it doesn't just happen. It comes by honest reflection. This is why uh, the younger you are, uh, the less likely you are to have numbered your days. No offense. Uh, Because the younger you are, right, the, the less likely you are to meditate and consider anything we're busy, right? We, we run, we study, we work, we play. Uh, we rarely stop and consider, right? When we're young, we, we, we don't have to stop and consider because we, we have the energy to keep going. Uh, just look at my five-year-old and you'll realize, yeah, when you're younger, you have the energy to keep going and going and going. But then you wake up one morning and the energy just isn't there. And suddenly we slow down and we stop and we consider we begin to number our days. Many never consider. We try to hide from the number of our days. We never stop and think. Moses wants us to stop, to think, to consider, so that through that God might teach us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. Okay, so, so what are we to consider? In this psalm, Moses reflects on three things. The first is the brevity of life. You know, again, when we're young, we think that we are immortal. An hour, if we have to sit still and quiet, seems interminable. 
Summer days seem to last forever. Time seems like it will never end. And of course, we'd like to think it will never end. Uh, We don't want to face reality, and for a long time, we don't have to. But Moses begins to confront us in an interesting place in verse 1. Verse 1, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. This is maybe especially meaningful in Moses' day, right? Because up till Moses, God's people were either nomadic in Canaan or foreigners in Egypt. See, they had no earthly home, but God was their home. God was their dwelling place. God was their safety, their protection, their fortress. And yet Moses' emphasis is not per se on God as dwelling place, but the all generations. He's saying, you have been with us from the very beginning. He's emphasizing the time. And he takes this a step further in verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is before the mountains, right? The, The oldest thing that we can think of. In fact, he's, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning and no end. Verse 4 adds to this. It says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Meaning that, that a time which, which no individual can span, a, th- a span a thousand years, is a fleeting moment to God. Not simply like a day, but like yesterday, right? A day that's already passed and gone. And like a watch in the night. A watch uh, was about three hours. That's all. A thousand years is like three hours to God. Why this emphasis on the eternity of God? Well, to contrast with that, the brevity of man. You returned to the dust, he says in verse 3. You return man to the dust. Again, verses 5 and 6, he says, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. And whether the the them in verse 5 and 6 refers to the thousand years as fleeting or uh, to to the man of verse 3, it doesn't really matter. The point is the same. The lifetime of man is like morning grass or like morning glory flowers, right, which blossom in the morning and disappear by late afternoon. In the grand scheme of things, our life is short. It's brief. It's momentary. And this is really true on anybody's reckoning, right? Uh, There there are a number of of YouTube videos that compare the human life to the 8 billion years, to 8 billion years or so. But, of course, even 8 billion years is nothing compared to God's eternity. A thousand years is, is like a bad night of sleep to God. What are our lives like? They're like the snap of a finger, like the tap of a toe, the blink of an eye. Psalm 103 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. And yet Moses doesn't just meditate on the brevity of life, but also the reality of sin. Today we sometimes talk about death as just a natural part of life. But of course, nothing could be further from the truth. God created men and women to live, to enjoy life, to experience His goodness 
without interruption. And Moses puts his finger on the problem in verses 7 to 10. Why are our days brought to an end? The short answer is because of sin. God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you disobey, you will die. Death came into the world through sin. Human rebellion brought guilt, condemnation, and death. Now, the truth is, Moses here is likely not meditating on death in general, but on the trials of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt with the intent of bringing them into the promised land, but Israel refused to trust God. They rebelled against him in the wilderness. God punished them by leaving them to wander there for 40 years. God had looked on their iniquities and their secret sins, and for 40 years Israel experienced God's judgment. That generation then died in the wilderness. What life they did experience was full of trials and trouble. But this is, this is true for all of us, is it not? The whole world lies under God's curse on sin. We all dwell under the shadow of death. What life we do enjoy is often full of trials and troubles and toil. This, this doesn't mean, of course, that our trouble is always our, our fault, not at all. Sometimes it's true we suffer the consequences of our own sin, but sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others, and sometimes we suffer just because we live in a fallen world, a world that has been broken because of sin. Whatever the case for our particular struggles, the main point is clear. Death is not a neutral fact of life. It is an enemy that steals us away before our time. Now, if Moses had ended here with verse 10 or even with verse 12, this would have been a very morbid psalm. But thankfully, he doesn't end there. If all we could do is reflect on the brevity of life and the reality of sin, this psalm would only lead us into depression or self-medicated denial. But thankfully, Moses leads us to reflect on one more thing in the end of the psalm, and that is the mercy of God. Again, if verse 10 were the end of the psalm, then death has the final word. If verse 10 were everything there is, there would be no hope. If sin and death have the final word, then I guess, yes, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Live it up while you have the chance. But Moses' confidence is in God. Death does not have the final word. God does. And so Moses cries out in verse 13, Return, O Lord! How long have pity on your servants? He says, how long must we suffer for sin? Have pity on us. Show us mercy. Let up your judgment, even though we deserve it. Have pity. Have mercy. That is God. Show up. Show up and make life better. Verse 14, he goes on. Let your love be the source of our joy. Give us joy again in you. Verse 15, he says, let our joy be commensurate with our sadness. That is, give us as much joy as you have sorrow. Verse 16, he says, do something amazing for us, your people. Let us see your power at work. Finally, verse 17, he says, let us know your smile, that our lives would be meaningful. Simply put, show us your favor, show us your kindness, show us your grace, which acts for us to set things right and to cause us to flourish. Do you see what Moses is getting at in this part? He's he's saying, God, we, your people, Israel, have experienced much trouble. And yes, we deserve most of it. But step in and make things right. 
Let us know not your anger, but your smile. When does God answer Moses' prayer? When does he answer it in fullness? You know, Israel lives a life of ups and downs throughout their history. You read through the Old Testament, they, they eventually do get into the land after 40 years of judgment in the wilderness, but then they're exiled from the land because of their continued sin. They, have the, they face the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. They eventually return from exile, rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple, only to have it destroyed yet again. God sends them small blessings throughout their history, and we should not discredit those small blessings, even when we experience God's small mercies to us. We shouldn't discount them. But in the midst of those small mercies, Israel continually feels the weight of judgment. But one day, God does step in and make things right. And we live lives that are plagued by time, so little time, not enough time, and then God enters into our time. God comes into the world in the form of a baby who experiences time and growth and change. Uh, Jesus, of course, had no sin. He had no iniquity. He had no rebellion. But he came to experience the abuse of time like the rest of us. In fact, he was cut off before his time. Jesus was put to death for our sin at about age 33. He tasted God's anger and wrath in a way that Israel never did, fully and finally at the cross. Jesus exhausted the anger of God for his people. His days were full of toil and trouble. He was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then his days were gone, cut off from this life. And in that moment, his disciples could say with the psalmist, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. And God did. The question how long is, of course, never really a question. It's not, never a request for information. It's a request for action. How long will you let this go on, God? When will you show up and do something? Of course, in the resurrection, we have our answer. God stepped in at the resurrection of Jesus and put an end to the suffering of his people. Jesus rose inaugurating a new creation, a new age, an age not of sin and death and the tyranny of time, but an age of righteousness and life and eternity. Here Jesus receives the steadfast love of the Father in his resurrection so that he will be glad all his days forever and ever. God, of course, goes far beyond the request of Moses. Moses says in verse 15, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yes, humanity has experienced a time of trouble because of sin, but Jesus has entered into our time of trouble, died to it and for it in the cross, and then entered into a new age in his resurrection, the time of eternity, the time of glory, the age of glory, the new creation. See, by faith in Jesus, we participate in his resurrection life. The, the first creation was corrupted by sin and became a time of trouble, but a new creation has begun in Jesus' resurrection, and with it an eternity of joy and peace. Now, you may wonder at this point, if that is so, why do we still experience so much trouble? 
If Jesus entered into a new age and I am somehow mysteriously united to Jesus by faith, why do I still experience so many trials, so many troubles, and especially death? Well, at this moment, we have our feet in two worlds, don't we? This is what theologians call the, the present age and the age to come. And we belong in both times, as it were. We, we await the day when Jesus will return, this present age will come to an end, and the age to come, which is already here by the Spirit who Jesus has given us, will come in fullness. And the dead in Christ will rise, and we will all be transformed, and we will enter into the fullness of the new creation where we will dwell with our Father forever and ever. That is our hope, friends, that we have been raised with Christ, we've been given His Spirit, we've, we've tasted of the world to come, but it's not here in fullness. And so we wait, looking forward to the fullness of the promises of God, till the day when He will make our days a joy, not just for as many as we have been afflicted, but forever. Can I say one more thing about time? The scripture teaches that today is the day of salvation. That is, this time in between the first coming and resurrection of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Which is to say, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, there truly is no time like the present. Today is the day of God's mercy. Today, God's arms are open wide, ready to receive rebellious sinners, to show mercy, to forgive sins, to receive you as his own. Today is the day of salvation. Do you want a heart of wisdom? Do you want to be able to rightly number your days and know the time in which you live? Reflect, yes, on the brevity of life. Reflect on the reality of sin. But then keep reflecting on the mercy of God and the grace found in the cross. And know that Christ has entered into our time to be cut off before his time, that we might enter into God's time of eternal blessing by faith in him. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your Son. Uh, we know that apart from him, apart from him, him, death would surely swallow us up. It would consume us. Even, even as we live out this life, the thought of what is coming would overwhelm us. But because of him, we have hope. The death does not have the final word. Strengthen us in that hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.